when you're looking at a private lending opportunity, a few different factors really need to be in proper alignment. So mm-hmm. the first one is obviously the property. And I like to, to teach my students, and my clients, that the properties waiting in your decision making on a given opportunity is about 51%. There are millions of real estate investors out there, and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort, and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals, and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now get ready to raise more money, because here's your host, Dave Dubow. Welcome back, folks. Well, chances are, if you're watching this podcast or listening to this episode, you are interested in real estate investing and in private capital. Well, today's special guest knows all about that. Limor Markman is a real estate entrepreneur who has really geared things towards private lending over the last few years. So, Limor, welcome to the call. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped to chat with you today. <laughs> me too. So, hey, very, very briefly, tell us a little bit about your backstory because I really want to get into the whole nuts and bolts of private lending because some people have even called you the private lending queen. That's a pretty high title, I tell you what. So tell us how you discovered private lending in the first place. What led up to that? Yeah, so it was actually kind of a, a lot of trial and error. I had a background in the corporate world in banking industry for over a decade. Loved it while the time lasted. Then I stumbled on real estate. And when I thought and figured out you can make money in other ways, I was like ready to ditch the corporate world. So, you know, I took as many classes as I could, tried every strategy out there, buy and hold, pre-foreclosure, rent to own, hard money lending, Airbnb, you name it, I've done it. And with each one, I kind of evaluated what did I like, what didn't I like, and ultimately what were the pitfalls. And at the end of the day, I discovered the things that were most important to me was a high return, a amazing security, passive investing, and just the opportunity to have my time back and not have to deal with tenants. So, you know, I, I sampled every single strategy and basically nutted up with saying, it's like a Goldilocks story, you know? I, <laughs> I kind of hate all that stuff, but this is the one yeah. where I like that a little bit. I hate that a lot, but this is the sweet spot, right? You got it. Okay. Well, hey. First things first, you talked about hard money lending, and now you're known as the private money queen. Maybe tell us what is your definition of hard money and what is your definition of private money? It's pretty simple. Hard money lending, similar to promissory notes, is used for real estate. You give somebody money for real estate, but you're not actually backed by real estate. So Part of even why I love private lending is because I made a lot of mistakes in all the other strategies, including hard money lending, where there was a deal that went sideways, where Mm -hmm. I loaned somebody money, the transaction went really well, they did a renovation, amazing communication, I got 18% return on my money, I was all happy, he called me back, said, hey, let's do it again, and the second time went a totally different direction. Mm -hmm. So promissory notes, hard money lending is when you're loaning money but you're not actually backed by real estate. They're often using it for a real estate transaction, but you're not registered on title and you don't have that same security that you do with 
private lending or my definition of private lending, I should say. Okay. Yeah. Because I've interviewed a few folks who call themselves hard money lenders and there's no way in hell they're going to lend anybody any money <laughs> on a promissory note. They yeah. are on title secured with a second mortgage on that property or better yet on a different property that's not under construction. Not so even better. Yeah. They've got the investor by the short hairs and sometimes the scuzzbags are actually even hoping that they default, you know, so oh. that they can, <laughs> they can, uh -huh. so they so, can take over the property. Okay. So now define for me, what is your definition of private lending or, or. So yeah. for me, private lending is a private individual who is lending money to somebody else and you are secured by a piece of real estate. So you are registered on title, could be first position, could be second position. It could be mm -hmm. the property that they are in fact doing the transaction on. It could be a different property or it could even be a blanket mortgage across multiple properties. But mm -hmm. you have that security, you are there, you can take over the property in the worst case scenario and you can sleep at night. Yeah, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. So it's all, in your definition, it's all about the security, makes a ton of sense there. I guess, what would it be the difference between you being a private money lender and you being a joint venture partner? Is, is, well, is this more of a basically just a debt type thing? You're making a specific return on your money secured yeah. by the property versus a profit share? You got it. It's not a profit share. And often with a joint venture, you may have some other elements, decision making or mm -hmm. input as to how the project turns out. You know, it, there's usually a sliding scale. If the project does really well, there's additional upside. If it doesn't do well, you may have to put in additional capital. So with a private lender, you're essentially loaning the money, evaluating the opportunity, determining that it's right for you. Yeah. and getting the return that you're expecting, no surprises. And if it doesn't work out the way you're expecting, well, you've done your due diligence up front and your intention is clear on your exit strategy to get foreclose, it back. Basically, uh, worst case scenario, you have to foreclose on it, right? Yeah, or power sale, depending on where you are in, in the country. Right, all right, that makes sense. Any more so, thank you very much for clarifying that for me. I guess the next question I've got for you is, I got a whole bunch of questions, but <laughs> pops into my mind first is because I know you teach and train people around this, and a right. lot of folks might be thinking, "Well, geez, you must have to have a million bucks in the bank to make this happen, to make this worthwhile." What has been your experience as far as realistically the minimum amount of money somebody should have access to to get started as a private lender? So there's a minimum and then there's sort of a sweet spot and they're actually yeah. not too far off. So okay. the minimum I'm going to say is about $50,000. Yeah. Now, the number of deals that come up at $50,000 are not as frequent, but I have seen plenty of deals in that category. So what you have to realize if you're entering at that dollar value amount is you're definitely looking at second mortgages. There is no house where you're going to have a first mortgage of $50,000. Not, not in Canada, anyhow. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. But I have seen, you know, lots of deals at the lower price point. Where I would say the sweet spot is, mm -hmm. is probably between $80,000 and $120,000. Okay. And again, we're typically looking at second mortgages here. Um, when you're looking at first mortgage, we're looking at probably $300,000 at the starting mm -hmm. point. But most people are comfortable with a second position mortgage, assuming that all the other factors make sense for them. So I don't want to go down a crazy rabbit hole, but 
you know, the loan to value, what's the term, what's the return that they're getting? Does the project make sense? Does it align with their financial goals? But to answer your question, you can start at 50 and- But the sweet spot's around 100. Sweet spot deals are around, let's say between 80 and 120. Yeah, so give or take around 100. Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Now, maybe walk us through- if you could wave the magic wand, what is the perfect private lending scenario? Like what is the kind of deal that just makes all kinds of sense that you're happy to do all day long? What What is the perfect kind of private lending scenario? So let me answer that question a little bit differently. And if it sure. doesn't quite hit the nail on the head, then you let me know. We'll, we'll I rework. definitely will. <laughs> I would say... When you're looking at a private lending opportunity, a few different factors really need to be in proper alignment. So mm-hmm. the first one is obviously the property. And I like to, to teach my students and my clients that the properties waiting in your decision making on a given opportunity is about 51%. Okay. okay. I like Do that. 51%. Yeah. Yes. So it's like the majority, but, but just, not quite. Here. Yeah. just by a slight hair. And the reason why I say that is because if the borrower were to get hit by lightning, anything under the sky should happen to them. Mm-hmm. The way you're going to get your money back is the property. So in this perfect deal, the property should be in a location that you're comfortable with. It should be in decent enough condition. There should be plenty of value or equity behind you so that in that worst case scenario, you're able to, in fact, sell it quickly. So again, you want it in a market that you know has a reasonable amount of resale time. Appreciation is decent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of people who want to rent. You've got lots of different exits. So the property's got to be like, check, I'm really comfortable with this. It's a great property. Yeah. And my 49% that I like to call it is really the borrower. Yeah. So who are they? And in the big picture, there's typically two types of borrowers or two different umbrellas. One is going to be a real estate investor, like many of your listeners here who are looking to do perhaps a flip or a refinance or any type of creative strategy where they need to borrow some money for the short term. And the second type of borrower is going to be a homeowner. So somebody who's really just got their own home and often they've run into just a little bit of a financial glitch and, you know, the banks are getting stricter and stricter and there's more and more changes that, you know, many times someone's just had a little tiny financial hiccup. They're not a bad person. They're not bankrupt. They're not in disarray. But they need to borrow a small amount of money for a short period of time while they recover and get into a strong financial standing again. So those are kind of the two. And you have to decide which is the right one for you. I've loaned personally to both. My clients loan to both. But I would say on the investor side, if you're lending to an investor, like many of your, your listeners are in that category here, what's their track record? What experience do they have? What's their personal credit? What's their need? What's their goal? How are they going to pay you back? I mean, that's the most important thing when you're looking at an opportunity, when you're looking at the borrower, you're like, hey, what's their plan? How are they going to get my money back plus the interest, right? Yeah. So the perfect deal has to be a combination of a really good property and a really good borrowing scenario. And then kind of layered on top of that is how does it fit with your financial picture? So if you're a private lender who needs cash flow every single month from your private lending deals, because that's what's funding your life. And I certainly have clients who have structured it that way. Well, then a certain deal might have a lower interest rate, but they're paying every month. So it's a better deal, yeah. right? 
or maybe you're someone who's using your registered funds because you want to grow that TFSA tax-free as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, you may not care if in fact they're paying all the interest up front or all of it at the end from a balloon payment standpoint. So there's lots of different factors, but kind of the ideal needs to have a really good feel around the property and the due diligence that we've done. We feel great about it. And then we need to have solid borrower who always picks up the phone when we call them. And then, of course, that the deal needs to fit with your financial goals and criteria and aspirations. Well, good job with a very good explanation there. So a couple of follow-up questions I've got for you. In your case, with your preference, what would be the maximum loan to value that you would be looking at in a second position? And what I mean by that for for folks that are kind of newer to this is the kind of deals that Limor is talking about here, especially if you're doing a a flip or something like that is typically the borrower will have a first mortgage on the property and then they will get a second mortgage from a private lender to do the renovations or, or something like that. But we got to be, be a little bit careful that we don't loan them too much money. So in case something goes wrong, we can foreclose on that property, turn around, sell it and get, get our money back out of the deal. So what's kind of your sweet spot there, Lamar? So I would say around 80% is mm-hmm. that sweet spot. And got a 20% cushion there. Yeah. A cushion, and I'm actually really glad that you asked me this question because when I'm working with my clients, we kind of always run through different scenarios. And I always kind of give them this like presentation that says, hey, here's an amazing property and I'm flipping it and the appreciation is amazing and there's so much upside. And then they ask for 100% loan to value or perhaps yeah. even higher. And it might look all great and dandy, but if one minute after the deal starts, something's happening, you can't get like, your like in the market these days a little bit, right? It's, you got it's it. not all go, go, go like it was. Yeah. And and I know sometimes, you know, there's people who are raising capitals or doing deals and they're actually implementing that strategy of ask for 100%, ask for 120%. And that's not to say that some of them aren't really successful out there in the marketplace. But if I'm protecting the lender and I'm working with you on lending your money. Like you work hard for that money, regardless of what career, how long you've invested it. Like let's make sure that with the strategy, part of being passive is that you can sleep at night. So yeah. I really think it depends for you and the individual, but around that 80%, you know, you've got that protection in there. And I guess it would depend a little bit, like you say, on the borrower as well. So if you've worked with a borrower for a long period of time, you've just seen an amazing track record you might have a little bit more wiggle room with that person if you're comfortable with them and the economy and the deal and and all that kind of stuff. But definitely be conservative, especially extra conservative at the (laughs) beginning. Okay. Next question I've got for you, Limor, is what are the typical, you, you talked about two different scenarios, real estate investors borrowing, homeowners borrowing because of a financial hiccup. Let's focus more on the, the real estate investors at the moment. What are they typically doing with the money that you and your clients are lending them? So I would say there's a lot of requests in the flipping, refinancing space. Those are typically shorter, kind of the three. So so flips or burrs kind of thing? Is that? Yep. Yep. That's where there's a lot of requests. So, you know, if you think about yourself, if you were going to do a flip, you might borrow to have the funding. It's a short period of time. You're hoping there's a high margin for you. You can afford the higher interest payments and it's just kind of smoother. So there's a lot of people I would say who are asking for those kinds of deals. 
I've also seen even requests on rent to owns. So there are some that are longer term in duration in the way that they are structured. Sometimes it's on one property. So let's say if someone's asking for a private loan on property A and their intention is to you know, renovate property B, refinance it, but this is where they have the equity. So I would say that's kind of the majority of what people are requesting for, unless it's kind of working on, you know, the lend is on one property and they're, they're doing something, some other fancy footwork on another property. And for you, what's kind of your comfort level as far as the duration of a loan, right? Because yeah. you're mentioning these tend to be kind of shorter term type deals. So what are you looking for? What's your sweet spot there? I would say to most of them are you. That would be kind of the majority. Of course, there are some that are shorter, kind of the three to six month window, unless it's a rent to own, which is like a three year term. And I don't see too many of these, but I have seen them for sure in the past a bit more. We're looking at about a year in duration. And what's nice about that is, you know, you're you're working within a certain market cycle. You're working within a certain I mean, we've seen interest rates jump how many yeah. times in the last few years? So, you know, if you've got a one-year window, you're more likely to stay within what's current in the, in the economy in the marketplace. Yeah, and it just kind of makes life easier for you as a lender as well, because you're not having to drum up new business as often for your yeah. capital, right? Yeah. But I guess, you know, a lot of flippers are trying to get in and out of a flip in three or four months. So in those kind of cases, do you make it a one-year minimum for the loan, no matter how long it takes them to actually do the flip? Or how do you no, work with those kind of scenarios? Not necessarily. I would say oftentimes what works well with flips for the lender is to have an upfront lender's fee. So yeah. the lender's fee is typically, for someone who's listening to this and hasn't been familiar with it, it's a few percentage points that are paid at the start of the deal. And that runs regardless how long the duration is. The other thing that I've seen done, you know, because some everyone's trying to have their cake and eat it too. And, you know, the person requesting the money is like, can I borrow it for as little as three months, but maybe six if I need it or, uh-huh. and, you know, a free extension if, if I should run into some hiccups is you can kind of include, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but you can include kind of penalties or clauses that say, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to pay interest for a minimum of six months, but you can get out anytime you want or oh, kind of like, you know, like a mortgage. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's some different ways that you can kind of word it. And I think the big thing is really just building a relationship with the person who's borrowing, getting a good understanding of who they are, what their plan is, what they foresee happening that could be a challenge for them, that could cause it to go longer. And then of course, as the lender, you have the opportunity to say, yes, I'll renew for an extra month or two if you need it, or Heck no, I don't like what's going on here. You haven't shown me enough progress. You haven't shown me enough updates, you know, and you can also structure it in such a way as when you're writing that mortgage commitment up front to say, hey, this is a six month loan. Should this go one minute beyond six months? Well, the interest rate now jumps to X, Y, Z. There's lots of things that you can sort of do to be creative in the negotiation up front to protect yourself. Sounds like some of that banking experience has come in handy. Yeah, yeah, it, it was fun, you know, really learning. Yeah, because now it's your money. Now it's your money that you're you're working with instead of the bank's money. Though no, that is well, where does the bank trip you up, and how can we? Yeah, how learn? can we be the bank, right? No, that makes sense. The more for sure. So, just to give people the idea, because again, like you said, you've tried a whole bunch of different real estate investing strategies. 
you've decided you'd really rather not deal with the tenants and toilets and headaches yourself. You'd rather be secured on the property, but definitely be more on the passive side. Not that you're completely passive because you have to definitely babysit your money and and vet the deals and vet the the borrowers. If people are going, hey, this sounds pretty interesting. What kind of returns could I expect if I were a private lender? So I know there's a range there, but can you give people kind of an idea of what they should should be looking at? I would say with what the interest rates are at the banks right now, um, private lending, you're probably looking around 10 to 15% return annualized on your money. Again, it depends on the loan to value, depends if you're in first position or second position. Uh, It depends on what the strategy is, how long it's for. But if I had to sort of stamp a range, what you're looking at right now is typically 10 to 15%. Yeah, that sounds definitely like what I've heard for sure. And Mm -hmm. Limor, the other question that kind of comes to mind for me is, this sounds great, and it is great, good old CRA up here in Canada, where that's the, our version of the IRS, it's the tax man. How do you structure things? Are you able to kind of show this as active income or is it absolutely passive income taxed at the highest possible level? Or have you got strategies to minimize that or to bring that in line? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me let me give the official, hey, I'm not an accountant, so ask yours. But that being said, here in Canada, we have the distinct advantage to have RSPs and tax-free savings account. I'm not saying RSPs as a strategy for investment is necessarily the right or the best strategy out there, but those two types of account structures, particularly the tax-free savings account, when you invest, and you can in fact invest with private lending through those accounts. So it's not going to be through your typical bank, but there are some small banks across the country that do provide this service. What you're able to do then is take your money, transfer it to those accounts, and then you can, with inside your tax-free savings account, lend money on private lending. So you're still registered on title. It's the same as, as if you were to take you know, hard-earned cash that you had um, in terms of the private lending process. But every month or at the beginning or at the end, depending on how the deal is structured, the borrower then pays the money straight back into your tax-free savings account. So as a result, you actually can be 100% tax-free if you structure it that way. As of right now, I believe the TFSA max, if you've been contributing every single year since its inception, is around $85,000, $86,000 per person. So if you did have a couple, husband and wife, you've got some decent room to be able to get started in within those accounts to be able to be generating you know that 10 to 15 percent return and legitimately legally not have to pay any tax so smart all right for for american our american folks or friends there these would be the equivalent of self-directed 401ks the self-directed rsps tfsa yeah i don't know if there's an american equivalent if there isn't that would be one of the very 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 few advantages we seem we might have in canada over the states, because it seems like the states has so many tricky ways to to minimize taxes that we don't up here. <laughs> oh, well, this is fantastic, Lee Moore. So I know that you're doing this actively yourself. You're also teaching and training other people how to do this. Is is that more like a coaching type thing, or are you getting smaller 
private lenders together and then finding deals together and that sort of thing? What what is that side of your business? Yeah, it's more, I'm more on the coaching front. I have a, a course that teaches individuals how to become private lenders in a self-guided forum. And then I do one-on-one mentoring and coaching as well for individuals who are looking to get into real estate, but really don't want to be handling the tenants. And then yeah. there's there's this way to do it. And, and you nailed it before saying, hey, this is a passive strategy, but, and here's the big caveat, you have to know what you're doing and you have yeah. to be able to evaluate those deals up front. You can't just have, hey, here's a mortgage broker, even though they're great, saying, here's a perfect deal because you need to be able to do the due diligence for yourself. Because yeah, so, those, those mortgage brokers, nothing nothing against mortgage brokers, but they're making yeah. points on you that money, whether you make money or not. So you have to do your yeah. own due diligence. Exactly. And that's really what I, what I realized in my journey of, of real estate is that there's a lot of education out there. You know, if you want to do a flip, you want to do a burr, you want to do Airbnb, there's lots of education around how to get into those. But if you just have worked really hard, you've made some good money and you want invested in real estate, there's not really as much education on how to do that properly. And, you know, I've, I've really loved it and really enjoyed it. And my clients have a hundred percent success rate of getting into deals. So it's, it's pretty awesome. So if people want to get more Lemore, what should they do? Best place to find me is on Instagram. I hang out there all the time. It's Lemore underscore Markman. Come on over, say hello, give us a follow and and send me a message. I'm excited to connect with you. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for sharing your experience and your knowledge. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dave. All right, everybody. Take care and we'll talk to you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by moneypartnerformula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me and let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.